0: This morning we'll be in Isaiah chapter 61, and then also in Luke chapter 4. Isaiah 61 and Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 1. "'The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release from darkness for the prisoners.' to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow uh, on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, and the oil of joy and recovery of sight to the blind, uh, instead of mourning and a garment of praise, instead of spirit of despair, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And then turn with me over to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee, and the power of the Spirit and news about Him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised Him. He went to Nazareth, where He had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, He went into the synagogue, as it was His custom, Then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the the synagogue were fastened on him. He began saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the uh, gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Then Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician. Heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what you have done, uh, what you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you, there were many widows in Israel uh, in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three day, uh, three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah. was not sent any of them, but uh, to a widow in uh, Sarah uh, Path of, uh, in the region of Sidon, and there were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet none, uh, not one of them, was cleansed. Only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and they drove him out of town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and he went on his way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning as we briefly apply your word. Lord, I pray that you would give me the words to say. And when it's time to be quiet... That you would let me be quiet. I pray this in your name. Amen. Right prior to this passage, Jesus, he had been tempted in the wilderness. And he had been in the wilderness and he had been tempted and 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 uh, uh, and, and Satan was trying to uh, kind of break him down and, and Satan was saying, well, you do this. And he would respond with Scripture and he overcame temptation. And then we find that right after this, he returned to Galilee and the passage says that this was in the power of the Spirit that, that this happened. He came to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Now, now break that down a little bit for you. The word here for power is dunamis, and that is where we get our word dynamite from. And so, if you think about dynamite, it's power, and not only just regular power. We're talking explosive power. If if uh, if you want if you want to blow something up, you get you some dynamite, and you'll see what power it is uh, that that it just. Whatever's there is no longer there. It's explosive power. And then the word here for spirit is pneuma. And and pneuma is the word that we get breath from. I always think of pneumonia. You think pneuma, pneumonia. If you got pneumonia, you can't really breathe. So uh, that, that's how I kind of remember that word just a little bit. Uh, it's breath. And so uh, if we think about the breath, the pneuma, it is creation. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He breathed out and creation was formed through the breath of his mouth, the pneuma. And, uh, and what we see here is that when, when pneuma, the, the breath, happens, Something happens in the lives of those around it. So, God speaks into nothingness, into darkness, pneuma, breath. Spoke it out. Spoke it into existence. I believe that when we talk about the power of the Spirit here, that when this explosive power of the Spirit goes out, People are changed. Something always happens when the Spirit moves among people. It's a uh, explosively changing. I often think that, that when the passage says that Jesus, He returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, I almost think that it was not necessarily a journey that happened for Him. I almost think that he ended up in Galilee by the power of the Spirit. That's where he was supposed to be, and that's where he ended up. So here he is; he's in Galilee, and and he's been doing uh, a ministry in in Galilee. There's been people healed, and 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 what we find and is. It's this is that he, he's kind of started his ministry a little bit people have kind of seen some things they've if they were at the baptism that happened right before I, I imagine it was the people that heard the voice of god everyone there i imagine heard the voice of god this is my son who am i'm well pleased i imagine everyone there saw the dove come and land on jesus I imagine everyone there, and and so so knowing this and hearing about it and experiencing, people go out and they start talking and and uh n- not only that, we know that he had he had already uh, done the miracle in Cana, turning the water into wine, and and he had already been a part of some of some healings that that um, that had happened and 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 here he is, he's he's in Galilee and people have heard jesus talk and they've heard him preach and they've heard him teach he's been in the synagogues now the synagogues they were they were the center of education and so every jewish male went to synagogue they they were the most educated uh, group of people in theology. If if uh, and, and still today uh, Jewish males go to synagogue. It's it's required. It's it's one of those things. Um, uh, think think about think about what would happen in the church today if if we required uh, people to, to go about uh, stringent discipleship processes to become deepened in their knowledge of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. But not only is the synagogue a place for education, it's also this place to exchange thought. And so if you have an idea that's going on, if you're excited about something, if you have a theory, it gets exchanged in the synagogue. Uh, Every once in a while, I go up to Caterpillar Crossing and and, uh, uh, they they have sandwiches there and uh, vegetables and stuff like that. And I'll go in and I'll see the the local farmers sitting there at, at the Caterpillar Crossing. And what do they do? They exchange ideas. They're talking back and forth. So the synagogue is kind of like that, where they're, they're going back and forth and and, and just kind of uh, telling them what their thoughts are on everything. It's the center of theological learning. It's the it's uh, where the scriptures are read and, and expounded upon. And there's very often times in the synagogue this theological discussion between different people. Well, I don't believe that. I don't believe your interpretation of this is right. Well, tell me why your interpretation is... You know, why you don't think that... And, and the, it's the thought back and forth that here in the in the synagogue, and so Jesus is speaking in the synagogue and he's teaching in the synagogue, and people are in awe of him, and and they're they're like we've heard this, and or we we've never heard him speak with such authority before. A scripture tells us that that people are just in awe of him wherever he goes, and and here here's what we find in in. Modern in comparison to the synagogue, we could almost say that the church and then the temple would be the heart. A place where Jesus is teaching and preaching. And notice that everybody had been praising Jesus up until this point. They had been praising him. Uh, that they, that, that, oh, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. We like your teaching. We we agree with what you're saying. And 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 I, I like what I like what you're doing here. And and you know you carry yourself well, and you're a good preacher. And and and. Uh, they they were in awe. Oh, I've never heard it explained that way. I've never heard it go that deep, but but still, I understand what you're saying. And and then he goes to Nazareth. Um, Nazareth is where Jesus grew up at. Uh, remember, he he's about two years old. Escaped from Egypt, they went straight to Nazareth, and he and he gets there, and 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 that's where his family set up shop at. And that, they would have known Joseph. Uh, Nazareth is not a big town; it's a it's a small area, and so everybody's gonna know each other uh, there in Nazareth. And 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 here here is Jesus in Nazareth, and he's speaking in the synagogue, and he's given this scroll. Now, notice that Jesus did not pick out the scroll. It was the attendant who gives the scroll of the day to the person that's going to read and expound upon it. This was common. This is not, this is not out of the ordinary here. This would be something that Jesus would have done. So, so it just so happens that Jesus is given the scroll of Isaiah, and he would take the scroll, and he would roll it out and kind of get it where it needs to be. And in Hebrew, you read this way. You read this way. One of my kids likes Japanese books. And so we let her, her uh, read these Japanese books. And in Japanese books, you start from the back. And then you read this way. And so I'll be like, oh, you've gotten far in that book, haven't you? I just started it. <laughs> it's a little bit different for us be reading this way. But, but that's what he did. He, he got the, where, it was, where he was uh, going to go and, and he goes and he, and, he, and he reads the prophecy. Here, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the people. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what does he do after he does that? He sits down. See, our, our, our cultures are just a little bit backwards. And so in, in Jewish culture, uh, the, the preacher is not standing. The preacher is sitting. And, and then everybody else will be standing. And so, uh, that, that's how that works. And so the, the thought was, is that the, the, the rabbi was going to, uh, be speaking for a long time. And so he needed to sit down. It was a symbol of authority. When, when they read the scripture and they sat down, that meant that they were about to explain some things. And, And what what Jesus is really doing here is he is proclaiming to the people that this prophecy that I just read, you know it's about the Messiah. You know it's about the one who's coming to save God's people. You know it's one about the Savior. Today, this prophecy has been fulfilled in front of you. That's the authority that I'm sitting on. The word has been proclaimed here, and and uh, uh, the the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. and, And and I imagine the people of Nazareth were just taken back a little bit. Are you Joseph's boy? We've seen you around here before. Are you sure you're the Messiah? Joseph's a carpenter. You're you're his kid, aren't you? And they're kind of they're kind of questioning it a little bit. And then Jesus explains to them. He goes on and he says he says he, he did not let up on it. And he says, even a prophet is not welcome in his hometown. Even a prophet is not welcome in his hometown. Uh, surely you will quote the proverb to me, physician, be heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what you have heard you do in Capernaum. In other words, he, he was saying that they were going to say that he was just calling them out. Because imagine this was going in their thinking here. They were like, well, if you're the Messiah, if you're the one that you say that you are here and you're proclaiming that you're, you're the fulfillment of the prophecy, show us who you are. we've heard you've healed people before. Do it right here. We want you to do it right here and now. Now, one thing that I think is very interesting and one thing that I think we have to be careful of is that we don't say, Lord, prove yourself to us. We are skeptical unbelievers. So here's what we have to realize is that God does not have to prove himself to us. God does not. God does not have to. Uh, God does not have to to say, okay. In order for me to be real to you, uh, I'm going to do this, this, and this. Uh, you, that's not how that works. You don't get to dictate to God what he must do in order for him to be God to you. Uh, the, the the thing is, is that God has revealed Himself to us, and we're required to either accept it or not accept it. And that decision's on us. He's not going to make that decision for us. We have to make that decision ourselves. Now, He'll chase us down. He'll say, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. But it's our decision to say, yes, Lord, I believe. And and it may may even be still like Thomas. Uh, We have just a little bit of doubt. I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure. But I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And I think sometimes in the church we have to, we have to. We're almost like this. These people here—they were so furious at Jesus. Uh, how dare he say this? How dare he do this? How dare he move this way? How dare he act this way? Uh, how dare him to say that he is the fulfillment of the prophecy there? And they were so furious at this that they, that they, they basically uh, ran him out of town and they were going to push him off a cliff and kill him. Uh, culturally speaking, they were about to stone him is what was happening. Because the, the way that, that often happened is they would push you off a cliff and then they'd start throwing stones at you. And we're not talking gravel in the parking lot. We're talking massive stones. What does Jesus do? He just walks right past him. There's another another in scripture. There's another time that I that, that I can remember that that something similar to this happens. Think about Peter in prison, and he walks right past the guard. How dare he say this? How dare he do this? Jesus was doing great things, but they let their preconceived ideas get in the way of what they could learn from Jesus. And they they let their preconceived ideas get in the way of what he could have done for them. Isn't this Joseph's son? Do you know outside of healing one or two people, Jesus did no miracles in Nazareth? They, they didn't believe. They didn't trust. They didn't have faith. And I, and I almost would go to say they weren't desperate enough. Because, see, they had this in their mind. This is who Jesus is. And this is what he's going to be. This is what he's going to do. See, in their minds, they thought... He's the son of Joseph. He's always gonna be a carpenter because Joseph was always a carpenter. He's gonna be a carpenter. He's just simple. Nazareth is, is uh known as the place where Jesus spent his childhood and not the place where Jesus performed, as John would say, signs and wonders. It's not the place where he did miracles. They missed out. You know, I think today many many times people have a preconceived idea of who Jesus is. If, I, if we look at, it, there's a survey that came out not too long ago, and, and it says that seventy six percent of U.S. adults said that they believe in the historical existence of Jesus Christ. Now now this this is Christians and non-Christians alike. And, and here's the thing, if, if we have so much proof that there is a historical existence of Jesus, that if anybody says, that tells you, says, well, I don't believe in the existence of Jesus, you just tell them that, that they need to study up a little bit more, and they need to stop being hard-headed and stubborn, and, and, and they, need to, they need to do some research on that. Because there's huge evidence of the historical existence of Jesus. So 76% believe in the historical existence. And that that just means that there was somebody named Jesus Christ that lived in this time frame that we, we know did some things. Did you know that it's even recorded in Jewish history that Jesus existed? Josephus. Uh, one of my favorite uh, Jewish historians that, that wrote a book that is so dry to make you fall asleep and you'll need a glass of water afterwards. It's it's one of those... It's, it's so dry. But he says this. He wasn't even a believer. and he And he goes and he says that Jesus... Something happened with this Jesus. There was something different. He goes on to say that he believed that Jesus was risen from the dead. He didn't believe. But he... Did you know that there were over 500 witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus? Historical it's historical that that Jesus died on the cross, people saw it, there was there there was witnesses that saw it. They they saw Jesus body getting taken down and put in the tomb and it was sealed up and and they they saw the soldiers there standing in garden uh, guarding the tomb and now the tomb is busted open and and the soldiers are shaking in fear and 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 here Here's Jesus out and about, revealed himself to five hundred people plus, five hundred plus people. (laughs) Do you know something? The power of the resurrection. (laughs) There was dead people walking around at the resurrection. Here's the thing. Jesus brings about resurrection life wherever he goes. He can take us, people who are dead, and he can bring about new life in us. But are we desperate for him? Are we desperate for an outpouring of him? 53% of US Christians that US adults that are Christians these are people that are Christians in this one. They say, they say this, is they say that 53% say that Jesus is Savior. Now, I have a, I have a concern with that. <laughs> if you're calling yourself a Christian, you should probably say that Jesus is Savior. Um, it's a, uh, 53% is kind of concerning to me. 50% of Christians say that He's the Son of God. 21% say that Jesus is the Messiah. say that Jesus is Lord. 17% say that He's healer. 12% say that He's friend. And 3% say that He's liberator. Those are some sad statistics when it comes to Christians. That that the concern is is that even Christians really don't know who Jesus is. And I think what we've done for so long is that we've that, that even in the church we've pushed this idea that that and this is true, this is absolutely true information that we pushed and we've we've preached for so long and we've we've done discipleship on is that hell is hot, get Jesus so that you can have fire insurance. And what we've neglected is we've neglected to teach people that Jesus is Savior, that Jesus is Lord, that He's sustainer, that He's His healer, uh, says, uh, that He's healer that, and that He gives life. We've neglected to teach people that because so many people have been concerned about fire insurance that they forget to have a relationship with Jesus. They're desperate to get out of hell, but they're not desperate for Jesus. John, three sixteen through seventeen. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Jesus is Savior. Uh, Jesus is Lord. Revelation nineteen sixteen. And on His robe and on His thigh He has this name written: King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is Lord of all. And and I think that for some the misconception could be is that Jesus is disciplinarian, that Jesus is going, and, and we have to realize that 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 there is going to be judgment. Jesus is bringing judgment. Uh, that, uh, that, but, but sometimes I think that people think that Jesus is only disciplinarian. That every bad thing you do, he's standing there with a the ruler and he's just going to smack you. Stub your toe. There's people that believe that. That that, that every, every single thing... Now, there's judgment. Judgment's different from discipline. Because with judgment, there's an opportunity for restitution and restoration before judgment happens. As many of you know, I watch court TV. It's one of my favorite things that I do. I do it almost every Sunday afternoon. Rebecca, uh, she zones out. She will not watch it with me. Uh, So uh, uh, one of the things that I find is that judges oftentimes will, uh, you're given a chance, and then you're given a chance, and you're given a chance, and then judgment happens. And I think that's the same for Jesus. Is that why Why has Jesus not come back? We call it tarrying. That's what we used to call it in the churches. Why is Jesus tarrying? Why is He waiting? Why has He not come back? And it comes down to this. He's given you opportunity. He's, he's given you a chance. Are you finding restoration? Are you finding restoration in Him? Are you making restitution? Because one day... The opportunity will end, the the window will close, so to say, and judgment will come. I think for some, people think that Jesus is a rule maker, and all he does is make rules. And we have to follow those rules. And if we don't follow those rules, we can't have a relationship with Jesus. Now here's the thing, Jesus has a standard, and that standard is holiness, because he is holy, and he can't have anything outside of holiness in his presence and so and so when we when we say that Jesus is a rule maker, what we're really, what we're really saying is there's something in my life that is not lining up with his standard, and I'm going to have to change some things and it may be that when we, when we make that excuse and we say, "Well, he's just a rule maker, it may be that we just don't want to change and it comes down to I'm not desperate enough for Jesus. Jesus calls each to himself. I think sometimes the world sees Jesus as a money maker. Well, that church is always taking up an offering. We see the financial reports, our board sees the financial reports, and we just want to let you know that sometimes we pray in some money through. We, we had to replace air conditioners this year, 26, thousand dollars. That's a big hit. We're praying some things through sometimes. There's not money making in the church. want I want to go ahead and, and get that myth out of the way. There's not money making in a church that's preaching the gospel. It's either being given out or it's being used to maintain and and pay the bills. Jesus is not a moneymaker. Jesus is, I think sometimes people think that Jesus is a cult leader. Remember, this is what the Pharisees called Jesus as well. They called him a cult leader. He's got the, he's got all those people together. He's got he's got those Galilee fishermen and he's he's formed a cult. And, and that's what the Romans thought as well. They thought, well, it's just a cult of Judaism. No. He's not a cult leader. Some say that he's a guru. It's far more than that. Sometimes uh, there's false doctrines out there and different... uh, different, um, We would call them cults. Uh, But there's some that think that Jesus is the brother of Satan. No. No. Some would think Jesus is Michael the archangel. No. Scripture, Scripture tells us against all that... And that's what people believe. Some would think that Jesus is a ghostly hologram. That's what the Gnostics, I mean, that's essentially what the Gnostics believed, is that that Jesus existed and we we saw him, but he wasn't physical. And and that's, that's, that's not it. But those who are orthodox, we would say in orthodoxy and orthopraxy, the right thinking and right action, we would say that Jesus is both Lord, He is Savior, He is Messiah, He's the King of kings, He's the Lord of lords, He's the hope of the world, and He's worthy of worship and honor and praise. Jesus was doing great things, but they could not let their preconceived ideas get in the way of what He had for them. Another thing is, is, and I'll be brief, I'm just going to be brief with you. It, it, Jesus was doing great things, but it didn't look like what they thought it should. Lord, help us. Nazareth was part of the Roman Empire. And Nazareth, they had the same ideas as many of those in Jerusalem. And and when it came to the Messiah, and they wanted this mighty, conquering revolutionary that would come in and overthrow the government. And and really what they wanted is some bloodshed. That's that's what they wanted. They wanted some restitution made. In the Roman Empire, they wanted some bloodshed. They wanted to be known that God was coming in and He was was establishing them again uh, in the reign of Israel again. That He was going to provide prosperity. They wanted it to be known that they were the dominant people. And when Jesus came, this is what he came to do. And this is what he said. He says, uh, Jesus came to proclaim the good news to the poor. Well, that's totally different than (laughs) than what a revolutionary is there. Proclaim the good news to the poor. He came to to, uh, uh, proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Well, here's the thing. He was wanting to set the prisoners free. And and they're wanting to take the, the Roman people as prisoners. It's not what they. Love. He. There was a debt prison there in Roman Empire, and and a lot of. Uh, they, we're told that over a third of the Roman Empire was in debt and in debtors' prison, and enslavement, and and when Jesus comes and he sets prisoners free, that's a big thing for the people. In Roman culture, in Jewish culture, hmm, There's corruption. And the justice... System there that, that 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 was happening, and Jesus comes to recover the sight for the bronze to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is jubilee. This is where everything is restored, and this is where, where everything is is kind of kind of the rest for the land. When we talk about every every seven years, you're supposed to let the, the field rest, and and uh, then they after so many so many years, there the year of jubilee was where all the land that had been sold returns to its original owner. I think we should adopt that today, my uh great grandfather he lost a mountain in a card game, so i mean we're we're just sitting on a gold mine in the year of jubilee he's Jesus, when He comes, everything's restored. We see that there's hope for eternity here. There's a new heaven. There's a new earth. There's a new Jerusalem. And Jesus, He came to set them free. But what they didn't uh, want, anything the Messiah had to offer because it did not look like what they wanted. It did not sound like they wanted. It did not look like they wanted. And you know, for us today, we have to be careful because if we're not careful, we can miss out on what Jesus wants to do among us because we can say, it doesn't look like we want it to look. It doesn't act like we want it to look and it doesn't it doesn't feel like what we want it to feel like and and when a move of God looks this way uh, we, we we want it to look a certain way and and we say that uh, this is what must happen if Jesus shows up that this is what a move of God looks like uh, because this is the way it's happened before and and what we have to realize is that we we don't need to settle for recreating events of the past where we've had a move of God in the past what we can say is Lord give us something new we want something fresh we, we don't want to have this preconceived idea of how you're supposed to move among us how you're supposed to fill us how you're supposed to use us Uh, we don't want to miss out on what God is doing because we said that's not what we want Jesus was doing great things but they didn't want to be partners and participants (coughs) they didn't want to be part of his plan they didn't want to be part of his ways it requires full surrender and it requires trust and it requires obedience it requires handing over control saying lord it's yours have your way among us i think that's what a participant is it's just saying here's the here's the here's the control and i think sometimes we have a hard time being participants in what god wants to do because we want to have the control and then be a partner. What does a partner do? partner says, Here I am, Lord, use me. I wanna, I wanna, I want to be a part of what you're doing. Use me anywhere you see fit. If that, if that's being a missionary, uh, Lord, let me be a missionary. If that's being a preacher, let me be a preacher. If it's a Sunday school teacher, let me be a Sunday school teacher. Lord, if you wanna use me in my workplace, use me in my workplace. If you wanna use me in my family, use me in my family. If, if you wanna use me at the Kroger or the Walmart or the Dollar General or the gas station, whatever it may be, Lord, use me. I, I wanna be a partner in what you're doing. In the world. And it, and it's, a, it's one of these things where you say, Lord, use me and mold me and fill me and lead me. I'll go where you go and I'll do what you want me to do. And I'll give what you want me to give. And I'll be who you want me to be. It's full surrender. Jesus was doing great things. But they didn't want to be partners and participants in what he was doing. He was doing great things, but it didn't look like what they thought it should look like. Jesus was doing great things, but they let their preconceived ideas get in the way of what he could have done for them. Church, my reminder to you this morning is this. is that Jesus is doing great things. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Jesus is doing great things. When he moves, say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Jesus is doing great things. And that may be, Lord, I'm stepping out of the way. (laughs) Wherever you want me to be, that's where I'm at. Jesus is doing great things. Don't miss it.